Family meeting after 10. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. And this is Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. It sure is. Where we talk about Peaky Blinders and all of the manly activities. <laughs> That happen in an episode of Peaky Blinders. Uh, what are, you know, horseback riding? That's, that's manly, right? Ooh. Not when you call it horseback riding. Yeah, I guess not. Horse racing? Yeah, racing. Uh, but before we go any further, it's a very exciting week. We've actually imported a live human man <laughs> via Google Hangout to talk about this episode with us. We have Lee Keeler, a writer and producer from Los Angeles. Hi, how's it going? Good. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Lee. Awesome. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I love Peaky Binders, and uh, you're a badass. So uh, thanks. He's only saying that because as we were setting this up, I just kept sticking my boobs in front of my webcam. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's a very, again, that's a very, uh, you know, we're, targeted at male <laughs> thing. This podcast is going after the male demographic one person at a time. <laughs> yeah, one memory at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, so we are going to uh, chat a little bit about Peaky Blinders Season 1, Episode 2, uh, with Lee, who's also, incidentally, he is the, you're the executive producer of Green Gravel. What is your title? I don't know. The guy. I'm the guy uh, <laughs> who is in charge of Green Gravel Comedy Festival, um, which is a comedy festival out in Iowa, which is my home state. Uh, I do a lot of producing shows in here in L.A., so what I try to do is bring some of that magic back to Iowa and also to shed light on the magic that is there. So it's kind of great because they have pretty incredible comedy scenes there, um, and they didn't have them when I was growing up. So it's it's been really cool. Yeah, I can definitely sign off on that. I've been there two years in a row. It's been fantastic. Yeah. yeah, some locals <laughs> some locals dragged me into a bar at closing time and forced me to do a shot, <laughs> which to me is always like the highest praise you can get at a comedy show. Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, that's kind of natural. And that just kind of speaks volumes to what kind of people we're having at the fest. Mm-hmm. The people, just real, real people. So, <laughs> Do you have dates for 2015 yet? Or 2016? What day is we this? Don't. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We gotta see what's, we gotta see what's going on with the landscape. Cause there's been a lot of, uh, activity and I, that's as vague as I can be about it. I was gonna it. say there's um, a lot of landscape in Iowa. It was very flat when I was there. Not, well, no, there's not a lot of landscape, but the comedy <laughs> landscape is growing. Uh, and there are actually multiple festivals there in Iowa now. Oh, shit. Um, wow. Do you have to like break yeah, somebody's so, legs? Uh, what's that? Do you have to break somebody's legs and get all like godfather on them? Oh, no. Awesome. They're great people, and everybody's been really. Uh, there's been a lot of great outreach. Everybody's kind of respected each other's time slots for um, now. So, yeah, it's it's been. We I just want to get on the same page. We're also trying to expand some of what we're doing. Cool. Uh, so we're going to be doing partnerships. Yeah. So a lot of this is we start actually next month. I can tell you that we took a break after last festival, and that was nice. Um, and now we're expanding the staff, and we're. Ex- hoping to expand some of the partners which is cool so it's it's gonna get bigger which is crazy really crazy <laughs> well very I, exciting I can smile ask me about it in six months and I'll, <laughs> i will be completely all right oh, we God, will we'll so. have we'll have another conversation in six months and uh no if you do need anybody to go peaky blinders i watch this show a lot uh and i can <laughs> i can sew a razor blade into my hat i've got a yeah crush. oh my god let's talk about that later <laughs> oh my god all right, so let's get started. So we start. There's a car driving down a country road. 
First, we thought it was Matthew Crawley <laughs> back from the dead for yeah. revenge. Do you watch Downton Abbey Lee? No, uh, I'm a dude. <laughs> so, oh my God, he is don't. manly. <laughs> this is great. Now we're going to get a lot of angry I'm, emails that are like, I am a dude and I watch Downton Abbey. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I don't. I don't. I, I've heard great stuff. You know, I'm sure it's great. And when I'm in a hospital bed someday, I'm going to watch The Wire for it. <laughs> I'll watch The so. Sounds good. Uh, so we see this car. It was, it was a crawly car. Yeah. Is that you guys thought it was crawly? Well, um, Matthew Crawley died abruptly and hilariously uh, in a similar car. So uh-huh. hopefully oh you'll God. have forgotten that by the time you're in the hospital bed rewatching, and it'll be a shock to you. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, my oh, God. Will. It'll, be like, it'll be your rosebud moment. <laughs> <laughs> so we see so uh, we see a white horse and a little kid washing that horse in slow motion as uh, Nick Cave's red right hand kicks in. And we said this was the best credit sequence ever, but I think we were wrong. It's the best theme song ever because mm. uh, it just kind of eases into the action. Because then we rewatched uh, the sequence for Orange is the New Black this weekend, and we were like, oh, right, this is a really great credit sequence. Yeah. So we had to differentiate. Is there a credit sequence? I would say for, for a period for a period thing, it's probably like the best between that and the music. But the yeah, the music is just stellar mm-hmm. in terms of the opening. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite favorite credit sequence, like regardless of genre, Lee? Is there something that you just really enjoy? Uh, probably Dukes of Hazard. Wow. Just because because I'm old <laughs> and uh, just cars and, and hay bales. <laughs> That are in naturally placed. <laughs> and the Confederate flag, are you still into that? Is that cool? No, I'm not. No. <laughs> I was like, are you, wait a minute, do we just no, invite no. a white supremacist on this show? Yeah, what? Don't, I just, I grew up on Dukes of Hazzard. That was it. That's all. I mean, I like Dynasty too. I have problems. I have right. problems. So Lee Keeler here from the 1980s <laughs> to tell us what's what. Repping. <laughs> Repping like a mofo. Yeah. So anyway, uh, then we get a wide shot of the countryside with a river, which is a shot we needed. Yeah. I was like, oh, a little pastoral uh, peace and quiet, I suppose. Yeah, this is, nothing could go wrong here. But so yeah, we we see the car pull up. It's full of, you know, Shelby's. Uh, Arthur says, <laughs> Arthur says, I thought you said we were going to the fair. Which is just like in The Simpsons when uh, Sideshow Bob is like getting out of prison and Lisa's like, I thought you said we were going to Dairy Queen. <laughs> I lied. Now shut up and help me go through Sideshow Bob's garbage. <laughs> then they can go to the water side. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Killian gets out of the car and he tells them that he has some business with the Lee family. And they're all displeased. And Killian greets a man who's like uh, apparently named Johnny Dogs uh, of the Gypsy Dogses. <laughs> uh, and... Yeah, Killian is quite the smooth talker. He tells uh, Johnny Dogs that he would rather live with pigs than ride with the Lee family. Uh, the Lee family is there, so that seems like maybe not the best thing they to They seem say. like they're panning for gold or like washing <laughs> their underwear or something. I thought it looked more like they were cooking yeah. beans over a fire, but... Oh. Hanging by the ribs, yo. <laughs> now the ribs hang. <laughs> it's the Rome away. Yeah. So Killian inspects the horse while Johnny Dogs inspects the car, and Arthur wonders aloud if they are swapping the family car for a bloody horse. 
Johnny Dogs is offended by that concept. He says, of course not. That would be mad. And Killian says that they're going to play two up for it. They both simultaneously flip coins and then peaky blinders. The manliest title card in all (laughs) of televised history. And it's on Netflix. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Goddamn right. (laughs) So then we see, uh, we cut right back to Killian and Johnny Dogs examining the coins, which have both landed heads up, which seems to be why it's called uh, Two Up. Yeah, I was thinking it through because I haven't played this before, but it makes sense. Like, they probably either are betting on whether they both come up the same or different. That way, neither of them, neither of them can cheat exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, they're, they're gypsies, man. They're gonna apparently try to cheat each other. Yeah, true. So. Yeah, or maybe they only, maybe they only have two coins. That's also possible. <laughs> they used all of them on that car and that horse. <laughs> right. Better times, the game is called Three Up. <laughs> so Arthur gets all mad, uh, because Johnny Dogs has started walking toward the car, but Killian's like, no, I promised Johnny Dogs to spin in the car. If he lost, and he lost. Uh, the Lees then laugh at Arthur, rightfully so. <laughs> in defense of the Lees, Arthur is an idiot. Yeah. And, uh, so then Killian tries to start some shit with them, but Johnny Dogs comes in. He's like, oh, hey, remember, you know, his grandfather was a king and you hear him say Roma, mm. uh, in there. I can't translate the rest of it, but I hear that. Right. Yeah, you did. Um, the, the Lees then, you know, everybody gets placated, but the Lees then shoot back that, uh, Killian's mom was a diddy coy whore. Uh, yeah. 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 Like, if they had just said whore, like, that would have been one thing. But the Diddy Coy was just, like, a step too far. Clearly. So that's the last straw. And uh, the blinders get to blinding as the raconteur's blue veins plays. And uh, I'm sure this is the last we're going to hear of this conflict with Lee's. (laughs) This is probably the end of that. Right. But I don't know how... If you're a Lee and you're standing right in front of a Peaky Blinder calling his mother a whore, like, are you not expecting to get Peaky Blinded at that point? Like, that's... That's their go-to move. First of all, thank you for making peaky blinding its own verb. <laughs> like, it's its own turn in and of itself. I think it's time. I think it um, deserves its own verb. Right. And, yeah, it's it's kind of – this show tends to do that with some of the characters where they do, like, hilariously, uh, stereo, like, tropish, like, Simpsons character-ish stuff, like what you were talking about with Sideshow Bob. And this is the first example of this episode that I truly love. Um, and what, I mean, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> well, I mean, how when they get into it, they have razor blades in their hats, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just not a good idea. Cause like <laughs> your hat, like on your head and what, like I, maybe I'm just clumsy, but I would cut myself up. A lot. Like if I had, if I had razor blades. Anywhere near my face, because I'm just a fidgety dude. Uh, it saddens me that this show doesn't have like a fidgety member of the gang and just keeps slicing themselves. <laughs> like, Maybe something to look forward That's to weird. for series three. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, like uh, Jimmy Jimmy fidgets. <laughs> they only they bring him in when they need a loose cannon. <laughs> Yeah, That's I mean, right, except you yeah. think after a few years, he'd have to change his name to, like, Jimmy No Fingers or something. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> no Fingers. Um, my other issue is I don't um, 
I feel like Roma, I feel like is a fairly prevalent term for gypsy or you, when you reach a, an age, you just kind of know it. And by age, I mean the internet. Um, <laughs> you know what, How old are you? You know what Roma is? Uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not doing that okay. again. Well, we know I'm, he grew up I'm on Dukes of Hazard, So, uh, <laughs> listeners, you do the math. All you know, I, uh, I, uh, what is it? I got totally derailed. Oh, you know what Roma is, but like, what is a Diddy Koi whore? Like, there's no, I looked, how would we know what that? I looked into it and what it looks to me is that to a non, to that, uh, if somebody else is using that as an insult, it just means English gypsy. But if I'm understanding Wikipedia correctly, when an actual uh, when the Lees say it, they mean somebody who is English and is acting like they're a gypsy, but they really aren't. It's almost like a half breed kind of. Um, but that's that was a very sparse Wikipedia entry that I might be kind of spinning incorrectly. But that's that's how I think it's it was intended there. So is it like that lady that was white, but she pretended to be black lady? It's kind of like that. Okay. <laughs> Eat nothing but a Diddy Koi. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking with our friend about her, and she just calls her Rachel Dratch. Now, we the, don't know why. We don't know why. But she just, well, I guess because her real name is like Do- Dozalol. I don't know. I just hashtagged it. Like, I never said it out loud. But, uh, yeah, but it's like, it's like poser, I guess. Like, you, you know. Yeah. Although I guess if their dad, because I mean it is clear at some point that their mom was not Roma, so I guess she was just kind of you know slumming for I, the Gypsy King. I guess so. <laughs> anyway, that's I mean that's what they're telling us now. I think there'll be <laughs> there'll probably be some wonderful well, reveal. Yeah, I would they, also like to add. Oh, I'm sorry, please. I was just going to say once they start doing Orange Is New Black style flashbacks in the next season. Then, <laughs> We'll get the whole story. Oh, man, no, that's not manly at all. <laughs> no, it's Flashbacks not. are the girliest form of storytelling, <laughs> and somebody needs to tell, uh, what's his name, Chase, David Chase. <laughs> well, I, you're right. For Boardwalk Empire, yeah, I never thought about that. You're totally right. Because that is, I really liked it on the last season of Boardwalk Empire, uh, but that's also because that show just needed to be saved. Mm. Um, and it is really feminine. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, like, nice. who cares about um, feelings? I just want people to get it blinded. <laughs> blinded by the peace. Uh, <laughs> in terms of the Lee family, uh, it would be really neat at some point if we found out that just all their first names were Lee. <laughs> and like, this is Lee Lee and Lee Lee and the, also Lee. The hardest, the hardest gang to, to line up on in all of like, Central England because of having to, like, like, have the first name of Lee. <laughs> it's an unconventional choice, but we're sticking with it. Yeah, there's not a lot of Lees. I know one other Lee. Oh, right, because you're Lee. I thought of that while I was doing this recap, and then I probably got drunk and forgot that I thought that. <laughs> well, now I can get drunk and remind you. Great. Good. Awesome. So anyway... Um, Back on this show, there's uh, a yes. we in a deserted street. We see somebody riding a horse, and it's Sam Neil. Sam Neil. <laughs> uh, so he approaches a whole pack of his specials and gives them this whole pep speech. <laughs> uh, we will take them before last night's bear turns to piss and wakes the devils up. Like, does he just stay up all night writing this shit? <laughs> Who says that? Yeah. 
Yeah. And also, yeah. it seems really bright out for everybody to still be asleep. Yeah. Like, it does not seem like... Well, they're working... You know, working class people are lazy, Tom. They stay in bed sometimes till 10, 10.30. <laughs> they just... Oh, they can't get it together, man. Yeah. But this whole plan... Yeah, they got up for breakfast, and then they're taking their whiskey nap. Their post-breakfast whiskey... <laughs> Uh, that's the life. <laughs> so anyway, the, uh, all the guys on horses ride off, and then there's a bunch of guys running alongside them wearing half raincoats, which looks ridiculous. Yeah, man, they look real stupid. <laughs> uh, and then the whistle blows, and they all start invading homes and busting up a bunch of shirtless men. So it's a real Ferguson situation at this point. Then we cut to Ada and Freddy having what I can only assume is supposed to look like crappy sex. Well, it's a weird position. Yeah. Like, they're both sitting up in bed. It's like, what, you know. Like, what, are they showing off? <laughs> right. Making all of us feel bad at home. <laughs> <laughs> so Ada seems like she's about to climax when there's a knock at the door. Ah, ain't it always the way. <laughs> uh, so Freddy asks if Ada's sure that all the blinders are off at the fair. Uh, and she says if it was them, they wouldn't knock, which is true. Right. They would have already killed one, <laughs> if not both of them. Uh, so Freddy and Ada, I'm sorry, somebody yells up the stairs to Freddy that the police are rounding up the communists, uh, of which he is one. So Freddy and Ada start running and they're pulling on clothes. The cops continue to demolish private property and citizens. Uh, then Freddie and Ada jump down off the roof onto a mattress that Freddie has placed there, apparently, for just such an occasion. Yeah. Uh, which is, you yeah. know, that's some good foresight from what we've seen of this lackluster communist thus far. <laughs> just in case Freddie wants to bang, like, below a window. Yeah, that's true. You know, everybody <laughs> like, needs a little sunshine. You know, he's probably got rickets from being in hiding all the time. <laughs> so, uh, Ada's pissed. She's such a bougie princess, and it's never on display more than in this scene when he's like, you have to jump. And she's like, if I have to. <laughs> and she's just so disdainful. And uh, for some reason, we love that. I don't know why. But whenever Ada's a bitch, we're like, yeah, be a bitch, Ada. <laughs> uh, but then the cops have found a prescription in Freddy's room for iron tablets for one Ada fucking Shelby, which is her legal name. Right. <laughs> All of the Shelbys, yeah. actually. Their middle name is fucking. Because that was their Diddy Coy whore of a mother's surname. <laughs> right. But I'm just kind of like, way to know how to date a criminal, Ada. Like, don't leave anything with your name on it in a criminal's, you know, squat. That's Even just... beyond criminal, just the fact that it was a secret. And who brings their prescriptions around with them to meet their secret lover anyhow? Um, Ada yeah. Shelby. Ada fucking Shelby. Ada fucking Shelby. I, um, it's, it's pretty, yeah, the pres going around with your prescriptions is pretty amazing. I have to wonder what else she was carrying with her that possibly was incriminating or mm -hmm. just gave away a certain subplots that needed to be filmed. <laughs> yeah, she just. I also love, I love the communist raids. I wonder if like, because they, it's such a vague device. Like, I feel like if, if. Sam Neill's character had like had a book that he loaned to a friend and he forgot who he loaned it to. He could just have a <laughs> I've got to like, finish raid in Jurassic Park. Of town of <laughs> um, it, he's like, get that book back, god damn you, Christ. Uh, it was it was great. I, I like. I wish. I will say that from here on out with the series, I'm disappointed that there are not more random communist raids. Uh, <laughs> well, they because they really are like 
they neutralized the communist threat in this episode somehow with Fred, like Freddie Thorne, like somehow by, by, you know, spoiler alert again, we don't know. We assume everybody, there are people though who listen to this, who don't watch the shows. Right. But anyway, but like he comes back, you know, eventually and proposes to Ada and it's like, well, communism over. That's it. You know, tell the czar. (laughs) We defeated it with Ada fucking Shelby's pussy. That's all you need. (laughs) All the political conflicts. Oh my God. So anyway, Freddie knocks on a door, uh, tells a Mrs. Donovan that he needs that favor that he had apparently been promised and convinces her to hide Ada until the cops have finished their commie search. And Freddie is going to have to leave town for a bit. And Ada's like, me. Again, she just doesn't seem to understand the implications of what she's doing. Like, I understand wanting to piss your family off. I think every woman understands that urge. To have sex with oh. someone that's just going to enrage your family. <laughs> uh, but she's just going about it all like, don't make him mad. I don't know. Yeah, this is a bad idea, but. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> then we see uh, Paul lighting candles in church. I think, does she rent that place? Is it like a, <laughs> is it like a, uh, like an office share? I think, I think that, yeah, they have Paul hours. <laughs> they definitely have Paul. Uh, when she faints and they have to take her out, they hire Paul Bearers. Oh! <laughs> Bring in the comedy. Oh, puns are the manliest form of humor, guys. Is that really true? That is the tr- Listen, I'm gonna keep making a bunch of gendered pronouncements. <laughs> is that why Twitter is just for mansplaining? It's just. Yeah, it is. Pun. Yeah. Anything, uh, anything short form with no backstory. Manly. Hemingway. Come on, tell me I'm wrong. I, I can't. Neither can Hemingway because he shot himself in the manliest fashion possible. Surrounded by cats. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're going to find cats one last time. (laughs) We're going to find my my plane. (laughs) Hemingway's secret diary. (laughs) That's just all like mash games (laughs) and just stuff about his feelings. And just hearts over all the eyes. (laughs) <laughs> oh god Hemingway perish the thought um anyway so Sam Neill comes into the church and she knows it's him she's like a gentleman would remove his hat and put out his pipe Sam Neill leaves his hat on and empties his pipe straight onto the floor of the church which is rude everybody knows if you're gonna empty a pipe you put it directly in the holy water <laughs> it's ridiculous it's catholic yeah. catholic interlopers 101 uh so Paul just snarks that he and his specials don't dare to come to the church during Paul hours until the boys are away at the fair. They say away at the fair so many times, and I'm like, it just doesn't sound right. Yeah. But uh Sam Neal asks if that's who she's lighting candles for, and she's like, no, I am praying for the boys from the garrison who lost their lives in France. She says there's a list at the garrison if he would look, and he's like, I'm not going to read that. Uh, she insults him for not fighting in the war. Which is everybody's favorite hobby. Oh, man. And it's great because he always gets mad, but he can't say anything. And she calls him Inspector Campbell, which I forgot was his name. <laughs> because we only call him Sam Neill. <laughs> <laughs> she says she's heard of him. And I'm sorry. He says that she's heard of him. And he's heard of her. And she wants to know if he's looking for the Holy Grail. And then he goes into another speech that I'm sure he was up until the wee hours writing. And I'm like, first of all, the Holy Grail is in Turkey. There's this really old guy there guarding it. You know, you've still got 30 years before Indiana Jones comes along. Yeah, it's true. Like, be patient, man. Make your move. 
Like, just hang out with Winston Churchill a little while longer. It's all going to be <laughs> fine. Um, but so he pushes her against the wall and she kisses him. And she says, oh, I misunderstood your intention when you pushed me against the wall, which is a super badass move. Yeah, that was awesome. And then uh, Sam Neill calls in his specials and tells him to turn the place upside down. And Paul says that they can't help that they, being the blinders, they can't help him look for what uh, they don't know. Hang on. What the fuck did I write down here? That they cannot help him look for something when he won't tell them what it is he's looking for. Uh, anyway, but he says yeah. he's found out he was talking to the wrong man. Like, come on. Doesn't just talking to Arthur immediately tell you you're talking to the wrong man? You're like, wait a minute. I'm not sure that you could, like, put boiling water through a sieve like this is not maybe the best yeah people don't people don't end a conversation with arthur being like i'm in good hands yeah this guy's well. definitely <laughs> he's on top of it but so he tells arthur, her arthur, yeah arthur is the guy that nobody wants to talk to when the pub's starting to close it's like who's still here they're like arthur's here let's get out of here he's like, like, i don't want to He's like the third key holder at a, in like a mall store in retail, you know? It's like, uh, it's like good that we have him if we both like the assistant manager and the manager have to take the day off, but like nobody wants to work with him. Uh, I say that having been the third key holder <laughs> in the past. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, Sam Neill tells Paul to tell the boss to meet him at Licky Tea Rooms. <laughs> Licky. <laughs> uh, 10 o'clock on Friday. And when I say the boss, I mean Thomas. Uh, just so everybody's clear, so they don't try to pull a fast one on him and send, uh, Mumper. Mumper is what we call Johnny, incidentally. Uh, I wish that they would have sent Curly. I wish that he would have, like, irrigated, like, four other members of the family and the crew before he was like, God damn you! Tell me how it is! And he just breaks the shit out of everybody's thumbs until they're like, he has to show up. Like, it's me, dude. I'm the good-looking one with the giant blue eyes. Like, like come on. This I'm is, the leader. This is organized crime basics. Like, come on, dude. You cleaned up Belfast? Did they just say, like, did you just get a participation ribbon? Like, what happened up there? In Belfast, the yeah. leader was always the ugly one. <laughs> That's why I'm in charge now. <laughs> So we see the, uh, uh, I also like, I like, I like how Paul busts out, uh, I mean, the church is an appropriate place for the, the boys to, to observe the boys who lost their lives. But this, uh, this series tends to, this is not a spoiler thing, just, it tends to make, uh, it uses that as an amazing device the whenever church. it wants to. I have to wonder if, like, when Paul couldn't get, like, the right mustard <laughs> on her sausage, like, this reminds me of the gas. When they set the boys out to lose their lives. <laughs> like, drop in the war whenever you feel like it. I mean, they do bring it up a lot. But yeah. also, wouldn't you? I don't know. I think I would. I'd be insufferable if yeah, I was I mean, a veteran and I lived. It, it's fair. I'm just saying they seem to bring it up at opportune Oh, times. yeah. Well, especially since this guy didn't fight. Like, he really – and, I mean, that's how strong the sentiment was at the time – like, the idea of him not fighting, I and mean, this goes back to that Downton Abbey episode where those women brought in those white feathers to right. the, like, benefit concert for uh, for the boys at the front. And everybody was like, oh, my God. But, like, these women were serious. They were like, fuck you guys. Why are you not fighting? And they were like, that's a good point. Yeah. But it was a, it was a huge social stigma to not have gone over there. Clearly. 
So we see the uh, the blinders rolling through the communist carnage left over in their neighborhood. Uh, we see a couple picking up a busted up chaise lounge. That is heartbreaking to me. Just yeah. Chaise lounges should be cared for and uh, just, you know, put in a prized position of beauty. And you know they're not communist. That's a very uncommunist piece of yeah, furniture. Yeah, that's definitely a capitalist piece of furniture. Like nothing, yeah. nothing You're says bo- I'm I'm kicking back on the you know labors of the masses like a chaise lounge. <laughs> yeah, so uh, things seem to be more on fire than usual in the neighborhood, uh, which is generally on fire. And Arthur wonders what happened, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, great question as usual, Arthur." He's not right in the head. <laughs> I don't think he is. So they all go back to the house. Paul explains that the cops said Arthur gave them permission to bust everything up so and that uh, the blinders had cleared out to the fair so that they could do it. So they're being uh, blamed for this raid. Arthur angrily says he didn't do any such thing. And everybody's like, yes, Arthur, could you please just not talk? Grown-ups are talking. <laughs> uh, Killian wants to know which pubs were hit. It was the Guns, the Chain, and the Marcus, which are all pretty badass names for pubs. I would go to any of those. Yeah, that's true. Uh, very mean. Yeah. Yeah, that that's not. I lived in England for a second. Half the pubs are just named stuff like the Feather and Quill and like <laughs> the Rose and Crown. Like they they're not they're not that badass. Yeah, but these are. Yeah, these particular ones. are. Well, these. I mean, you know, the the pubs you visited were perhaps not ones paying protection money in post World War Birmingham. Like, yeah, that's you know, true. They had to toughen up. Yes, <laughs> very. True. Uh, like if you were named the Feather and Quill, you'd probably have to pay like extra protection money. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to say anything for your British audience. I won't. I won't talk about how most of those pubs are just full of old people waiting to die. It's uh, it's awesome, awesome daytime drinking retirement homes. It's amazing. That's great. That sounds amazing. Let's retire to England. I'm down. All right, (laughs) do it now. So Polly says that the cops only hit pubs that pay protection so that people will be sure to think that they were in on it. Uh, she tells them to finish their beers and then go out and do damage control. Killian says, you know, pay out cash to the pub owners and hire veterans to fix them up. Arthur wants to know what Killian's going to do. And Killian's going to go stable the horse at Charlie's. She looked foot sore in the box. Uh, horses, very girly. <laughs> That's true. Just pointing that out. Killian stays behind and he and Polly smoke cigarettes as she closes the door and confirms that they both know that the coppers were looking for the guns. Paul says that he doesn't read the papers, but she reckons it's three to one. There'll be a revolution. And we're like, old timey people didn't (laughs) know stuff. There's no revolution coming for you people, England. Uh, Anyway, so Sam Neill, though, thinks that there is going to be a revolution and he won't leave them alone until he gets the guns back. Killian wants to know if Sam Neill talked to her or tried to find our Ada. Paul says she was sleeping, and Killian wants to know where she was sleeping. But Paul says she thought he didn't care for women's business, which is a sweet burn, Paul. Yeah. She does not get the respect she deserves at all. Sweet burn at front. any point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she tells him yeah. that Sam Neill wants to meet. But Killian says they have to strike back first so they don't have to parlay on the back foot, which is a great strategy. Mm-hmm. I should really strike out in vengeance more often. <laughs> So uh, next, the the song Hardest Button to Button by the White Stripes begins to play. And this actually introduces one of the key mysteries going forward for this season. Is will showrunner Steve Knight purchase another CD at any point? Because <laughs> oh, come on. These, this, has been, this has been two, maybe three albums. Uh, no, Hardest Button to Button uh, was well, on Elephant, right? 
I believe so, yeah. And then St. James Infirmary Blues is on the White Stripes. That's true. And, and well, Blue- and there was a Rack and Tour song. Yeah, and which that's is on their first project, album, Broken so, Boy Soldier. Yeah. yeah. Come on. He's got at least three, <laughs> maybe up to five albums. You know, there's a yeah. couple. He's probably just got. Entire, we could have an entire Peaky Blinders Festival. It's nothing but the bands that he puts in there. And actually, it would sell pretty well. It I would. Think. Yeah. That's a really great synergy, actually. Yeah. Um, he's probably just got the complete works of Nick Cave. You know, he's not ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, we see Finn climbing up on the bar at the garrison and pulling down the picture of King George. Harry asks what he's doing, and Finn just says, we're having a fire, Except and he heads says off. it so adorably. He's well, like, we're having a fire? <laughs> like, duh. Why else would you need a picture of the king? <laughs> it's the only thing we use it for around the house. We burn pictures of the king all the time. Yeah. Would you like some wall kindling of the king? <laughs> Kingling? <laughs> no. More puns, guys. They're going to keep coming. Apparently so. That's where we're heading. We see Mum paying a woman to Bob for her picture of the king and cut to the whole neighborhood burning the aforesaid pictures. Arthur says that he hopes Killian knows what he's doing. Killian does not bother to respond. Of course he knows what he's doing. Look at his face. He's so beautiful. Yeah. So then uh, a car pulls up. There's a reporter from the Birmingham Evening Dispatch. Uh, he tells somebody who he is, and he's led over to Killian. Killian confirms that this reporter is protected because this guy's like, uh, should I be here? Like, <laughs> this doesn't really seem like my scene. But Killian uh, tells him to write down a bunch of stuff about how these people are so loyal to the king that they have to take down his pictures so that he won't see the terrible things that are being done to them. And this is... The most brilliant spin I think I've ever seen on television. Like, I don't watch House of Cards, but I see you and raise you House of Cards. Uh, I I like it. Go on for the rest of this scene. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. We brought you in to interrupt. I, so you can interrupt. Yeah. I love it. I love it because the it would have been great if the reporter was like, I want to hear some tape and you could just tape over the king's eyes. Billy Murphy like that's not that's not really what we're going for here. He's like, no, really, just tape over the king's eyes, and he won't see the thing. Like, You're the Peaky right, Blinders. You know all about incapacitating people's eyes. Yeah, but it would. It would, it would. I, uh, it, Murphy delivers those lines. So I mean, he delivers his speeches really eloquently in the whole series. But this one is really sharp and really saucy, and. uh I just really would have appreciated it if the like the reporter wrote everything down like uh-huh 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 <laughs> and then you just see him go to the next guy and the next guy is one of the like homeless street guys who's like so what's going on here and the street guys like there's fire and it's war and I love war <laughs> Long live the Peaky Blinders! <laughs> yeah, long live the Keepy Peaky Blinders! I'm warm! They pour me a drink to fix up the Marquis! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what else does he say? Uh, oh, yes. So, uh, the reporter wants to know why they're burning the pictures, but Killian says the people went through hell for their king. And uh, they walk through the flames of war. And now they're being attacked in their own homes by these new coppers from Belfast. Which doesn't quite answer the question if you stop and think about it. It doesn't, but, but it enough. doesn't matter. The showmanship, man. No. It's all about showmanship. <laughs> so Killian uh, is asked who he is. And he says he's just an ordinary man who won medals at the Somme. And he tells him to write in your paper about what's happening here. And the guy's like, all right. Yeah, that's what I, I don't to have do. anything else to do. There's no TV. <laughs> that is my whole job. So we see Sam Neill working at his desk when there is a knock on the door. Uh, thankfully, he does not say, come. Yeah. Um, 
So a lackey tells him that it's uh, Winston Churchill calling on the London line, despite the fact that it is almost midnight. Uh, well, Winston Churchill and Sam Neill have to stay up that late crafting their speeches. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, no, Winston it's- Churchill saying, <laughs> I gotta get ready for the next war. <laughs> I kind of like it, too, because when the guy says Winston Churchill, like, Sam Neill stands up, even though it's a phone call, you know? Like, it's like he's not actually there. You can stay in your chair, buddy. So, uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill, quote unquote, uh, is on the phone. He says that, uh, there has been a big bonfire in Birmingham and Sam Neill's like, yeah, there was a fire, but I didn't feel the need to report it, bother you with it. Uh, but Winston Churchill says that he is in fact bothered because he was told by the evening dispatch that the bonfire contained pictures of the king. And so the king. The king. <laughs> the king is on fire. Yes. Uh, he says that as a matter of course, anything to do with the dignity of the monarchy is referred to the home office before being published. And I'm like, God, monarchy is weird. <laughs> uh, so they will be killing the story. And he tells Sam Neill not to arrest anybody over it because arrests will lead to trials and trials will need to will lead to more newspaper reports which will inevitably mention the king's photo being burned. And that will lead to presumably eventual overthrow of the king because once people find out you can just burn pictures of the king, they're going to be like, well, why stop there? Let's graduate to effigies and then the king himself. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Then you're going to have all kinds of homeless guys showing up trying to be warm. And the pee blinders will be named king. <laughs> Oh, and that horse will be there for all of it. <laughs> or will he? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's actually a good point. Anyway, Sam Neill asks if the report named any of the people involved, and Winston Churchill says yes. It named Killian Murphy and mentions that he's a war hero. Uh, then Sam Neill goes to say something else, but Churchill hangs up on him. Advantage Churchill. <laughs> That's right. Well, he's very wealthy, so yeah. I imagine the advantages were usually his. I would think so. <laughs> So we see uh, Polly reading the paper as Ada comes into the kitchen, and Polly wants to know where she was, and Ada makes herself some bread and jam as she narrates her boring-ass day in bed. Yeah, it's a weirdly detailed answer. So Ada says it's unusual that Polly's reading the paper, but then Paul lists a litany of injustices, the BSA on strike, the miners on strike, the IRA killing their boys. Uh, and Polly suddenly then looks at Ada with alarm, not because she is eating bread with only one part of it that has jam. Yeah. Uh, but she stands her up and she makes her turn to the side and then she grabs one of her boobs. Uh, and if you didn't know what was going on already, now you should be like, oh, but she wants to know how late Ada's period is. And Ada says one week, five weeks, seven if you count weekends. Which uh, you do. I believe... <laughs> That the Council of Women should meet and revoke her uterus. Like, this is not, it's not okay uh, to even, like, I understand she's trying to save face. Uh, although, I don't know, it's unclear because she then says that she got iron tablets. Right. Uh, Which makes it even dumber that that prescription that she left in that place, not only should she not have left it there, she should never even had that prescription because she knows damn well she's pregnant with Comrade Baby. Like, <laughs> right. I uh, I also want Paul to open a clinic where she just turns you to the side and grabs your tit and then like Honestly, puts a cigarette out at you. That would be a lot more personable than most clinics, I will say. 
just in my personal experience. Thank you. Well, this is a manly podcast. We probably shouldn't talk too much about the various practices (laughs) of Obi Jins. So it was not to scare off the entourage loving frat boys who I know are subscribing. (laughs) That's right. They're out there right now. Yeah. Subscribe, bro. (laughs) Lloyd. (laughs) Just start calling characters Lloyd for no reason. Or just actually now I like the idea of bros having really high level conversations about reproductive rights. (laughs) Like Roe v. Wade, man. Roe v. Wade. You know, it's been really great for women. It's a fucking undue burden. We should get some some road signs. That'll change everything. (laughs) (laughs) Worked in India. Billboards billboards are the most forward thinking media on earth. Uh, they have stopped me from drinking and driving a couple times. No, well, that's not bad. Yeah. It's a little more than I expect billboards to accomplish, so. <laughs> I think I voted once because of a billboard. <laughs> Maybe I'm just the target audience. I'm like, that's a good point, billboard. We never did see that Johnny Depp Angelina Jolie movie, No, though. that's true. There was Lee <gasps> in our neighborhood. There was a billboard for the tourist starring Johnny Depp and Angelina <gasps> Jolie for like three years after the movie was what? released. Yeah. I don't know what, what? happened. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but it just was always there. It's gone now. That was look. I feel like Banksy has probably got a whole bunch of stuff that didn't work out. He doesn't tell people. <laughs> that's that's gotta that's be like true. a that's fail. The, that's the beauty of like anonymity. Yeah, is that like nobody ever knows when you failed. No, you can be like if yeah. everybody says something sucked, it'd be like, oh, uh, imposter. That one. Yeah, that, that wasn't really, that wasn't the real Banksy. You know, uh, that was yeah, that, that was, was fakesy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we cut to some scary looking instruments and, uh, a Mrs. Simeon tells Ada that she can dress and Ada asks if she is or not. Uh, then we cut to outside and, and Paul tells Ada to keep walking because if anybody sees them at that door, they will know why they were there. Ada announces that she is not getting rid of it and Paul says that they'll discuss it at home, but Ada says to get off of her or she'll scream. She wants to have this conversation in a public street because she's an idiot. Fucking Ada. So Paul says fine, and uh, Paul asks who the father is. Ada says that if she tells her that the blinders will cut the father to pieces. Ada insists that he is a good man and that he will come back. Paul is understandably skeptical. Uh, sadly, it's true. He is too stupid to stay away. But. Yeah, that's true. I was really hoping he would be gone, but... Uh, <laughs> We see Killian at Charlie's. The timeline gets a little wonky here because it was like the dead of night yeah. when they went to this uh, woman, but Killian said he was uh, stabling the horse before, so I don't know what's going on. Eh. Regardless, he tells Curly to get him a Spanish saddle, and then Charlie... Who's gets- busy with his afternoon routine of sitting and staring at whiskey, which <laughs> you, you see him do a lot That's of. That's a great routine. <laughs> I wish that was my uh. routine. <laughs> That's the manliest. That's a manly routine. Mm-hmm. Very manly. So Charlie uh, says that the horse is beautiful, but he wonders if it was worth falling out with the Lee family over. And they've delivered a bullet uh, with Killian's name on it, although it says Tommy because they are better at boundaries <laughs> than we are. Right. Uh, so they've delivered this bullet to Charlie. Killian tells him that the gun. Oh, I'm sorry. Charlie's like, oh, first you know the guns, and now this. And Killian's like, hey, the guns are not spoken of, which, like, doy, Charlie. Yeah. That's, like, a huge federal crime. Like, this is just some intra-clan, you know, conflict. Like, they've weathered worse than this, I'm sure. No. Uh, yeah. Charlie tells him to mind how he speaks to Charlie, but that seems unlikely. 
And Killian gets on his horse, as Charlie says, it's Thomas Shelby against the whole bloody world, right? And it's like, duh. Yeah, have you seen his face? <laughs> have you seen his dead eyes? It's amazing. No. He can have what he wants. I would, uh, I, I would, I wish that there was a deleted scene of like a dude from the Lee gang that had to bring the bullet to Charlie <laughs> and hand it to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what? Like the t- the supposed tension that was supposed to happen, where he's like, "Hold on, I'm with the Lee family," and he's like, "Okay, what do you want?" And he's like, "Here's a bullet." <laughs> like, it's bullet handoff. He's like, "I don't, I don't need this bullet." And he's like, "No, I mean." I put a road on it. There's a name on it. Like <laughs> that's oh, okay. that's just kind of tradition like, with us. We're in a gang war. Okay. <laughs> no, I like that. I also like it too. In the under your theory that all the Lee family is their first name is Lee because that renders them yes. immune to this thing. Because like, oh, which Lee is this bullet for? Ah, I guess there's no way of knowing, huh? Yeah, that's how they protect themselves. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like Spartacus, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. Did it work? I've never seen Spartacus. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm pretty... <laughs> it didn't really work. Everybody just got fucking crucified. <laughs> they were oh, like, man. Oh, you're all Spartacus? We're just going to crucify all of you then. Cool. You guys have no idea oh, how... Ran out, of, like, out of wood and rope to, and, and cruelty. They weren't like, <laughs> The Romans, those were some men, guys. The ancient Romans, man. Yeah. Manly, violent men. Have- <laughs> yeah. And their boyfriend. Yeah, listen, if you read Oscar Wilde, he makes a very compelling case for that being extremely manly. And I, I'm inclined to agree with him because I like his funny words. All right, this Oscar Wilde conversation is not helping, so. What, the manliness? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we see Killian riding a horse past the fires of Birmingham. Uh, the it's horse- just always on fire. Guys, it, it is. There's just forages blowing out everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, the horse is understandably spooked by all this and starts rearing and trying to throw off Killian. Killian hops down and calms down the horse using uh, coping mechanisms that he learned in the trenches, apparently. Ladies, he's dangerous and sensitive. Start your vibrators. <laughs> I guarantee you Grace already has. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's there, by the way. We see her, like, peering out behind a pillar, and you're like, oh, yeah, you exist. Uh, and then she empties a disgusting bucket right in front of Killian. So, first of all, does she have any non-spittoon duties at any point? Like, what is this? Ugh. Sometimes I have to get He's- Mr. Shelby a rum when he asks for it. And my yeah. singing stopped them fighting and made them cry. Uh, got to make them cry. <laughs> Like, I feel like that happened one time, and she's just been trying to recreate that night ever since. Yeah, that makes sense. Grace, can you just, I mean, we know you sing. Like, do something else. <laughs> we have more to clean the tunes. Well, can I sing in the latrines? <laughs> yeah, sing I in the latrines. I find if you whatever. sing to the, to the shit stains, they come up a bit easier. Great, whatever. Just do your job. <laughs> I fired you off the street. I'm a spy. Oh, wait. Could you not tell anyone? (laughs) Oh, you should not tell anyone. (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah. (laughs) Master spy Grace just hurls, you know, some sort of sewage in front of Killian. Then it's like, oh, hey, what's up? Uh, And introduces herself. And he's like, yeah, I know who you are. You work in my pub. Uh... (laughs) She asks if the horse has a name, and he's like, oh, what do you want to say? 
And she says that she would like to have one night a week when there is singing in the pub because Harry was too afraid to ask Killian. This is exactly like trying to get a uh, comedy show in a bar, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the owner rides by on his horse. <laughs> you throw a bucket of sewage in front of him. It's a dance as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. It hasn't changed. <laughs> Anyway, she says she is afraid of Killian, but she loves to sing, and he tells her that she sounds like the rich girls from Dublin who come over for the races. Uh, he asks if she likes horses and would like to make some extra money, and she's like, yes and yes. Uh, so he tells her to dig out a nice dress. He's taken her to the races. <gasps> what a dream. I'd go to the races with Killian any day. Well, you'd go most places I, with you him. You would go to the latrine with Killian. <laughs> I would do anything Killian asked, but I don't think he's like... In reality, he has a wife and children, and I don't think he's down with my crazy life, you know? Probably not. He's like, listen, we all thought the wind that shakes the barley was amazing, (laughs) but I'm not going to sleep with you. Uh, Okay, so we're 23 minutes. I didn't see that either as a dude. Um, Dudes don't watch the barley. Really? Because that was a really manly movie about brotherhood and war. Civil war, most foul. I mean, we understand your issues with the title. <clears throat> yeah, the title has yeah, nothing to do Barley. with the movie. <laughs> Barley is girly. If, if that was the if that was the name of a microbrew, then I would then <laughs> a dude would crack. The wind that shakes the <laughs> barley. It would have to be like the wind that drinks yeah. the barley. Are there any <laughs> Lee? You're a man. Are there any manly grains? Um. Yeah, I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ran them through. I was like, I was like, there's oats. I was like, oats aren't. No, nope. Yeah. Uh, no, grains are a sign of weakness <laughs> and of health. <laughs> and uh, and neither of those oh, things dude. are manly. Hops. Does that count? Does hops count? I don't know if it counts or not, but it's manly. Yeah, so hops. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah, we'll see You're if right. there's any other applicable uses for hops other than beer. Probably not. Probably not. That's why it's so manly. <laughs> It does one great job, up. and it does it great. Hops. Put it in your face. <laughs> this message brought to you by the Hops Council. <laughs> Man, we really got to get a sponsor on this podcast. <laughs> we do. Yeah, Hops Council. If you uh, if you listeners are in touch with the Hops Council, please <laughs> give them our email address, upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. That's right. So yeah. We're- Just write to THC at... <laughs> Abbreviation of drugs dot hops. Dot <laughs> <laughs> <Tied> hops. <laughs> My family's been making hops for years. Okay, so we're 23 minutes into the episode. Finally, we get some fast boogie music. Yes. So, Lee, I don't know if you watch this with the subtitles. We do. And uh, whenever there is a non-Jack White or Nick Cave joint, it is described generally as fast boogie rock music. Yes. Um, Which always amuses us. Yes. So, uh, we're in the betting parlor. The boys are working the Monahan boy beat. Bets are pouring in. Ticker tape is tickering. The accounting seems lax. Like, they're just hurling coins all over the place. Ah, they make Finn count it. It's all fine. (laughs) That that accounting college just involves, like, not eating chalk. Like, (laughs) you don't eat the chalk. You're an accountant. (laughs) How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your chalk? (laughs) (laughs) 
So oh. Killian, Killian walks in and a lady, or he's walking by and a lady just pulls her children out of the street in front of him and apologizes. That's what I aspire to. <laughs> I aspire to ladies yeah. not letting their children walk in front of me, which to date, I have not been successful at. <laughs> All I would do is hang out in Sears if that was my power. Yeah. Like, they'd be like, what are you doing to do? I'm like, I'm going to Sears, dude. They're going to pull the kids out. <laughs> how this goes <laughs> so killian gets into the betting partner parlor and shakes hands with everybody and then mumper tells killian uh everyone's there for monahan boy and oh also paul wants to see you uh so he goes and sees paul she tells him something as concerned piano music plays that's my designation <laughs> yeah not netflix's um but he runs back out uh she's told him something very upsetting uh, possibly about Samuel emptying his pipe in that church. That would really set me off, so. Oh, you. You hate sacrilege. I do hate sacrilege. Uh, but no, we cut to Rudolph Valentino making out with a hand like hardcore by mm-hmm. period standards. Oh, yeah. It's pornographic. <laughs> yeah. So Ada's there at the picture show eating some popcorn. Uh, Killian marches Well, she's in. eating popcorn for two now. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Ada sighs. He sees her, sits next to her, uh, and he tells her to tell him the man's name. She says, Rudolph Valentino. And Killian rolls his eyes, gets up, marches back out. Uh, a few seconds later, the lights come up and the music stops. And Killian comes back in and tells everyone to get out. I would also like that power. <laughs> yeah. So kids, get out of my way. Other people, don't be where I'm interrogating my sister about who impregnated her. Yeah. Or really anywhere that I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the movie, by the way, the movie at this point, Rudolph Valentino has gotten to a fight. So I don't know what happened in those like five seconds, but that escalated quickly. Mm. Anyway, so he goes back in, tells Ada again to tell him the man's name, and she says... Let me do it. Okay. Freddy fucking Thorn! Yeah! Your best mates in school! <laughs> The man who saved your life in France. Because these are all things that Killian apparently doesn't know about Freddie Thorne. Yeah, he right. doesn't remember. He didn't. Yeah, it's like, Freddie Thorne, could you fill me in on our backstory again? No, well, I mean, he does smoke a lot of opium. <laughs> That's true. Like, that might, I, you know, I've never done it long enough to know what its long-term effects are, but... Yeah. So that's some disastrously bad exposition. But uh, it's it's... The scene is saved because then Killian leaves without saying a word... And then Ada yells back to the back that she is a Shelby too, so put her fucking film back on, which I appreciated that a lot. Okay, third yeah. power. Getting people to start and stop films when I say. I was gonna, I was gonna say it'd be an amazing power to wield uh, at the concession stand mm. when they're like out of raisinets <laughs> or something. And you're like, oh, I'm a fucking Shelby. Give me more raisinets. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. With an actual Irish, I shouldn't. Yeah, I should have prefaced that before I came in this podcast. I'm incapable of an Irish bro. Listen, well, it's been great uh, because it's just you know it's variety, man. It's it's funny. People are supposed to be listening to this and laughing. So yeah, um, yeah. I feel like that wound up like being if Sam Neil way can, more look, condescending. If than Sam Neil can do a joke accent on the actual show, then I think. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly right. Yeah. I feel way better. Yeah, you're really the Sam Neill of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I like in the mouth of madness. <laughs> I was go. just going to ask, do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to not talk about that movie on this podcast. <laughs> oh, God, it's so oh, great. Yeah. 
Oh, that old lady. Um, also, I'd like to add that the Yelp, the Yelp reviews for this theater would be amazing because every <laughs> third review is about like, I thought, you know, it's good facility. Uh, the Shelby was getting a blowjob from two women. Like, <laughs> Try not to be there when the Shelby's there. Like, they should really post their schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Ada Shelby. eats all our raisinettes. She's really packing on the pounds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're just people that go there just to see what the Shelbys will do on any given <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, because there would be those five stars being like, there was a bloody shootout and it was wicked. <laughs> I don't know. People said wicked at that time. Yeah. That's more of a Ron Weasley thing. <laughs> oh, man. Ron Weasley. That's not that's not a manly reference. <laughs> no. Like, at least, you know, uh, Sirius Black. Oh, no. He's too emo. Listen. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here thinking about Kingsley Shacklebolt. That's the manliest man in Harry Potter. Okay, All right, I done with you. that. Uh, so we see stacks of money, just like we make on this podcast from oh, the yeah. Hops Council. <laughs> we're raking it in. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're not, Lee. You're not going to get a, a thing from us. Uh, we don't have any residuals. What? Sorry. <laughs> I may have brought you in under false pretense. <laughs> we'll send you a box of raisinets. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if I can get raisinets, we're fine. Okay. Uh, so Killian yeah, is uh, pensively drinking a drink, looking at all the money. Paul comes in and says, Monahan boy finally lost. Killian says, yes, third time unlucky, and they took money from all over the city, and they've already bought back the blinders' popularity. That was fast. Yeah. Polly says she taught him well, but that he picks the race without the permission of Billy Kimber, so she didn't teach him well enough, and she smashes his glass against the wall. I just love the property damage these people do when they get... I just wish... You know, if I was that uninhibited, I bet I would never get depressed. <laughs> uh, but so she she's so mad at him for this. And uh, Killian says that Billy Kimber's there for the taking. Paul says that she ran the business for five years. Uh, and, you know, it's too big of a risk. He says that he learned things at war, like strike while the enemy is weak, which you had to go to war to learn that. Isn't that pretty basic? Yeah. Also, were you really you weren't really in charge of much strategy? I don't think. Yeah. There. Anyway. Uh, so Killian says he thought she came to talk family business. Uh, so Paul wants Killian to get a letter to Freddie and give him a chance to do the right thing. Uh, Killian ac- accuses Polly of being a romantic, and he's like, for someone who's had a hard life with men, which is a low blow. No. Yeah. Uh, Killian thinks that Freddy only wants Ada for access to guns and rifles, and that he'll always be a man on the run, chasing a glorious revolution. He tells Polly to tell Ada that Freddy went to America or Russia. Both good options. <laughs> uh, Killian says it won't do good. It won't do any good for Ada to bring a baby into the world alone. And Paul gets angry and leaves, but he says that she would have hit him with the fire poker that she was banging around, uh, except that she knows that he is right. Yes. Well, she picked it up because he burned the letter. Yeah, he just threw it. I'm sorry. That was pretty crucial. Yeah. <laughs> he, this is this is like when I didn't realize that Mr. Bates got tripped. Yeah. Uh, that was the point of the scene. He burned the letter for Freddie, which I think is, look, that baby's going to have a terrible haircut. Like, it's just got to be genetic. Yeah. And also, I can't even imagine what kind of letter Ada would write. Like, she's, uh, I, I mean, Would she I don't write even... in her pouts and sighs? <laughs> she would. She would. Yeah, she would just write about her day in bed, and it'd be like nine pages of. <laughs> Never has a character Voice. cried out for anachronistic emoticon so much as Ada fucking Shelby. <laughs> She's so we- like winky, angry face. <laughs> so we see her pouting, pouting face, <laughs> sitting sadly as Paul tells her that the longer she leaves it, the worse it gets. 
uh, and then shares a story from her own past about an abortion that she gave herself at the age of 16. Which is super manly. Yeah. And if you say it's not manly, I will tell you you are a ponce. Well, she did nearly die, so there's Yeah. That. Near death is super manly. Yeah. Uh, and she says that her man, her man didn't come back because none of them do. She says, you know the words. You're a whore. The baby's a bastard. But there's no word for the man who doesn't come back. Boom. Yeah. That is true. Still. Yeah. Like deadbeat dad. But that doesn't really, I think, you know, that's like calling a white person a cracker. Like deadbeat right. dad is an insult, but it's not such an insult that you can just apply it to some other person. Like you yeah. can just call anybody a bastard regardless of their birth, and you're like, oh, that's an insult. Yeah. Whereas if you, call, if you called somebody a deadbeat dad, that wasn't. They'd just be confused. <laughs> they'd, they'd be like, I don't have any children. <laughs> right. I know I owe you five dollars, but I'm not your dad. <laughs> So Polly tells Ada that on her wedding day, she will thank Polly for common sense and the good man on her arm. Uh, she says that the woman who will perform the abortion is in Cardiff. And I'm like, no, not Cardiff. There's the rift. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they will go there and then go to the castle afterwards for a treat. Which is, I think you should always have ice cream after an abortion. Just me. I think, yeah. Yeah, no. And this scene is really well done. Like, it's a really frank discussion. About uh, reproductive choices, which, as we all know, I'm very passionate about. Right. Uh, and Polly is just not taking any shit, and I kind of appreciate that. I don't know. I feel like I'm predisposed to not be on Ada's side, which maybe is not what feminism wants me to do. <laughs> like, it's her body, her choice, but she is not good at making choices. Right. Like She left her prescription in a known criminal squat. <laughs> <laughs> Where's she going to leave this baby? <laughs> I um I just it, this is one of those scenes where Helen McCrory is uh just very uh she's excellent. Yeah. She like I feel like if there was any other actress in charge of this role, uh there are certain scenes that just wouldn't work or wouldn't play at all. She's and got so uh such she just a, really, such a steely gaze and she just I don't know, uh you know, she we were talking with a friend last night about her because she played uh, Narcissa Malfoy in Harry Potter. Uh, FYI. Yeah. Yeah. So she was Malfoy's mom, but she is just so striking looking. Like she isn't exactly beautiful in a conventional yeah. way, which always sounds like an insult, no matter how nice you try to say it. <laughs> well, but she just, there's, you know, it's, she's got like those big Disney princess eyes in this middle aged woman's face, and it's fantastic. Yeah. She's, uh, she's super, it, the casting is great. And I have to wonder how much of the writing they're doing just around her mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah, um, especially this early. So if that was serendipitous, that's uh, that's pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's as nuts as that John Cusack movie. What's it called? Serendipity. <laughs> Serendipity. God, oh my God, I forgot that, that cinematic treasure. I, this is just the podcast where we dig up some hoary old chestnuts that oh, I never saw. When is the Criterion Collection of Serendipity going to come out? <laughs> Kate Beckinsale's really holding things up, Tom. <laughs> follower on twitter <laughs> so we see killian driving along in the countryside and then there's this abrupt cut to the tea room which is one of the most ridiculous looking rooms i have ever seen it's like yeah. my little pony threw up in a tea room <laughs> it's great and the- i think i like it they just like wes anderson had an extra set laying <laughs> Jason Schwartzman just pops in after this scene. Anno- 
That's uh, it's it's pink, but it's a drab pink. Like yes, we do we do have drab pink just for you. <laughs> right this way. <laughs> yeah. So Sam Neil tells Killian that he chose this location because it was outside both of their jurisdictions, and he thinks it fits his skin tone. Um, Killian says. <laughs> That he wants his that he is a businessman and he wants his business to thrive. Sam Neill says that what he wants is peace in the city. Killian says that well, hey, peace helps business to thrive. Sam Neill says, oh, then we're on the same side. But how can that be? And he pulls out the prescription when Ada's iron prescription was in, found in a known communist quarters, and he takes great glee in this and in informing him that it was clear that he was sleeping that she was sleeping in his bed. And wants to know if Killian is also in bed with the communists. Har, har, har. Only the hot ones. <laughs> Killian says that he is not. He does not share their fantasy. And he has already dealt with the Ada situation by interrupting a movie. <laughs> uh, ah, good tactic. <laughs> I used it in Belfast. <laughs> they haven't finished a movie in Belfast since I got there. <laughs> 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 Guys, I like all of our different Sam Neill accents. Like, this make me real happy. Yeah, it's a good time. Like, it's just so fun to make fun my of. God damn you! Yeah. So Killian says that he can guarantee that Freddie won't return to Birmingham, and it will be part of their deal. Sam Neill's like, "What deal?" And Killian says that Sam Neill and his specials will leave the blinders alone. I ignore all their gambling operations and turn a blind eye when they try to make a move on the racetrack business. Sam Neill's like, oh, forgive me. I don't seem to have a pen for this long list of demands. Uh, and Killian pulls out a pen and hands it to him. He is a really good businessman. He, he just makes, yeah, man, I wish I was good at anything the way he's good <laughs> at this. It helps to be scripted. <laughs> um, yeah. When they write everything around you, then that's uh, that helps. Yeah. Sam Neill asks what he gets out of this deal, and Killian says that he has the guns. Sam Neill says, what guns? And Killian gets up to walk away. He says he's not there to play games. Sam Neill says, wait. Uh, and then Killian lists the inventory of the guns, proving that he knows what he's talking about, and tells Sam Neill that he has left word that if he is taken into custody, that the guns will be sold to the IRA in Belfast, uh, and they've all got serial numbers, so it will be found out, Winston Churchill will find out, and that will be the end of Sam Neill's career. He says that he, Killian says that he is a fair man and that that's a fair offer. Uh, Sam Neill reluctantly agrees, but says he'd prefer not to shake hands on it. Killian walks up to him and says, now why would I shake the hand of a man who didn't even fight for his country? And heads out. Burn! Birmingham, burn! <laughs> you know you all Birmingham, burn again! God <laughs> damn you! <laughs> I feel like, ah, I really like yours, Lee. I really do. Yeah, I think think you're doing pretty well. Yeah, ah, such it's a good one. Because you get the, I think, because you are a man, as has been previously discussed... <laughs> You can really get at the timber in a way that I cannot. Mm. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, cut to the opera. Boo. Looks, looks boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How come? That's the thing. Sam Neill wants to meet in the girliest places. The museum, the tea room, the opera. Yeah. Like, go meet at a whorehouse or something, man. Come on. Live a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
yeah, like, you know, Winston Churchill's foot in the bill. Do what you want. <laughs> Sam Neill sits very impatiently as an old man manhandles an old lady on stage. I'm like, what opera is this? Right. Uh, the old people. <laughs> um, there's a knock on the door. It's Grace. She is woefully underdressed for the opera. <laughs> like, I don't even know how she got in. Yeah. Uh, but she, uh, Sam Neill tells her that her only job now is to get close to Killian, who is now shown smoking opium again. As he likes to do. Uh, however repugnant it may be to get close to, i.e. suck that dick. <laughs> Grace, uh, briefly doesn't suck as she tells Sam Neill, uh, that he underestimates her in every way because he said, I take no pleasure in this. No more than a father sending his daughter into a horror house. And I'm like, wait, you're not her dad, man. Like, step off. Yeah. And Grace is like, I was already planning to fuck him. Like, that was my, that was my plan A. I don't know why yeah. you think. Also, have you seen him? How could I turn that down? <laughs> like, it's, you know, two birds, one pussy. Like, get it all out of the way. <laughs> Well, and from having watched The Americans, she's probably been trained in this and had to, like, bang a bunch of strangers so that she can perform when the time comes. This may well be. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how people trained spies back then. <laughs> uh, anyway, Just so. Just a lot of banging and singing in spittoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had her, like, isolated in some, like, bunker. <laughs> and all she had was the saloon, like a fake saloon <laughs> and a fake brothel. And she just shuttled between them. Uh, so on her, on her, uh, Sam Neill gives Grace a gun hidden in a newspaper, cause that is a good place for a gun. And then Samuel grabs Grace and creepily tells her that his heart is with her. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you want to hear when you have to go bang someone for your job. That's really gonna keep you going through the long, cold, <laughs> lonely, uh, insincere bang. <laughs> But uh, then we have we we cut back to Killian, who is having another flashback to a World War One tunnel as the opera reaches its crescendo, and then he wakes up. And again, what is he getting out of this opium? Isn't the opium to stop the flashbacks? Uh, you know, ostensibly. Yeah, that is true. It keeps bringing him back. He should uh, he should try shrooms or something. Yeah, man, he should really just he needs to chill out. Yeah, agreed. I, it also, the scene was also weird too because it kind of made it seem like that Killian Murphy was hallucinating the opera. Maybe he was. <laughs> Maybe he oh, hallucinated yeah, yeah, yeah. opera and the war. He's like, I never even saw an opera. I, uh, I also like this scene because I wish that there was always some kind of like docent at the museum or some kind of worker at the opera who would be in the room because Sam Neill's so intense and so <laughs> the way he. The way he acts, like he's talking to her, like he talks like over her shoulder, like just fucking talk to her, dude. Like you're yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one. This is a time in, in in an era where like babies and horses were screaming in the street like constantly. Like no one gives a fuck about your whimsical whisper. <laughs> Who let this horse take dog? care of this baby? <laughs> God. Yeah. Also, see, that was another it- cartoonishly tropish uh action on the part of that character it's pretty amazing isn't the opera also super loud like and who's looking at them at the opera yeah i mean watch those old people arguing songs if anything the way she is dressed is conspicuous for the environment yeah right yeah he doesn't say word one about that shit yeah well i mean the fact is that grace is an awful spy and it's ridiculous that she has any success at all (laughs) but there it is we see Curly running through the rain uh, with a lantern. He wakes up Killian and says he has to come quick. So 
they jog through the rain back to Charlie's uh, stable, where the horse uh, is not looking good. He is hobbled, and one of his legs is pulled up. And Curly tells Killian that uh, the Lees cursed the horse, that he says he bought the horse in bad faith, and they put a bad seed in his hoof, and it spread to the other ones. I don't know enough about horses to know whether that's, like, a thing that can happen. Right. Me neither. Right. Yeah. It seems plausible, though. Like, if you put something gross in their hoof, and then, I don't know. Yeah, it gets infected. I Yeah. Hard to say. Also, are curses real? I don't know. <laughs> Magnets, man. How do they work? <laughs> well, the Earth's polarity <laughs> is reversed at either end. All right. Uh, so, yeah, Charlie says... Or, well, Curly says that it's going to reach his heart by the next day, the horse's heart, and Charlie reminds Killian that he told him so. And I'm like, well, Charlie, what I would say is that, yes, this is a bummer, but they did get that horse for free, right? Like, they're not out anything. Yeah, that's true. All it took was just flipping those coins and blinding those guys. So, really, they're coming out ahead with this horse still. <laughs> yeah, none of them are blinded. Let's look on the bright side, people. <laughs> yeah, this is an Equus. <laughs> uh, so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the song Brother My Cump is Empty by Nick Cave kicks in, and uh, as we hear a gunshot, as we see Killian walking away, he has shot the horse. Uh, and he's real bummed about it, yeah. as you would be. He loved that horse. Yeah. And it, horses in general. Yeah. So uh, we see the garrison. We're Gase. Gase. <laughs> We're almost there, guys. Uh, we see Grace closing. <laughs> we see Grace closing up the garrison, uh, but there's a knock at the door. Oh! <gasps> Oh my god, is it Sam Neill? No! It's Killian. Uh, she lets him in and he demands a drink. She asks if she should leave and he says that he's there for the company. Uh, Harry, it turns out, took the night off to go to the pictures. Because he, apparently he can just do that. At yeah, well, and he heard none of the bar. Shelbys were around. So he was like, oh, finally, I can yeah. find out what happens. It's not a Shelby night at the theater. <laughs> at the cinema. No Shelbys allowed. That's, it'd be great if that's when, that's when the whole town goes. When they find out the fuck. <laughs> Yeah, people who go on the off night, it's like they're new in town and they don't know. Uh, so uh, Grace asks after Killian's beautiful horse. Killian says that he just put a bullet in his head. Yeah, wrong time <laughs> for that question. Yeah, and uh, Grace wants to know if the horse was lame. Killian lies to her that the horse looked at him the wrong way, which is not a good idea. Which, like, I see what he's doing, but I think he's laying it on a little thick. Yeah. Like, we already know you're a bad boy, okay? She knows. She already, like, wants to bang you. Like, come on, dude. Like, have a heart. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, <laughs> they agree that it's a waste, and Killian says he got used to seeing men die in France, but not horses. And horses die badly. Although, I would argue humans also die badly. It's not one of our stories. Yeah, well, <laughs> It's not great for us. That horse must have put up a hell of a death scene that we just weren't prone to. <laughs> the horse is like, it must have been like Giovanni Ribisi in, uh, oh, what was that World War II movie where he's like, mommy, 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 Saving like when he Private dies. Ryan? Then in Private Ryan. Yeah. That <laughs> horse must have fucking rolling around and like just, his big horsey eyes looking all cute and shit. Just looking That's at another loss. That you know? <laughs> That horse looked up at him, and it was like, earn this. <laughs> <laughs> a telegram comes in, Private Ryan. I can't even say it, man. Private Ryan's dead. The horse? 
after we sent all those other horses to find him. Next, she'll be telling me War Horse didn't make it. <laughs> Fucking War Horse. <laughs> okay. Oh, War Horse always makes me laugh, guys. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, Killian offers Grace a cigarette and she changes the subject, thankfully, because this conversation is a real bummer. Uh, she says she dug out a dress for Cheltenham, which is the next fancy race that's coming up. Yeah, it's the biggest, uh, it's the biggest uh, steeplechase race of the year. Still? Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Huh. So it's like the Kentucky Derby of Great Britain? Well, of, of jump racing specifically, it's got like hurdles and hedges to oh, jump over. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Killian says that she'll be introduced to, uh, the king. No, not King George. King Billy Kimber, who is the king of, uh, you know, the races. I don't recognize his crown. But, like, Grace got so excited that she might meet the king. It was almost adorable, but I'm still mad at her. Um... Killian says that she'll go with him and do whatever he asks for two pounds. She then negotiates up to three pounds and throws in Saturday night singing as part of the deal. Killian then blows her cover and says he checked up on her at this pub in Dublin where she claims to have worked. Which, once again, what a great spy. It's like, oh, I've got this backstory. Will it hold up to the slightest scrutiny? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody asks, there's no backstory there. Uh, so anyway, What's he... An alibi? Yeah, yeah, like... No, and she's, you know, she's been vetted. Right. Like, she's not supposed to be this stupid. And there's, you know, she's supposed to have more support than just Sam Neill. Yeah. Anyway, so he... I was going to say, Sam Neill's the one that picked her out, so... Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and he's clearly fucked in the head where she's concerned, so... Yeah. So, uh, he says that he just assumes she's a girl from a good family who got pregnant and it ruined her life. He non-sequiturs that he is right and Polly is wrong. And Grace is like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, don't worry about it. But she's like, uh, I want to bang you, so maybe we should talk about your feelings. Uh, which is weird, because guys don't like that. Yeah, It's well, a bad strategy. She's a bad spy. That is over true. This. She's not good at it. Anyway. Uh... So Grace asks if he'll keep her secret, and he asks if he looks like he tells people things. No, he does not. No. I'll answer his question for him. <laughs> he asks what she sings, and she says anything he likes. She wants to know happy or sad. He says sad. And then she gets all fucking cocky again. Is like, it'll break your heart. And he says, it's already broken. Mm, yeah. Boom. Feelings conversation circumvented. Yeah, also- Manliest shit ever. <laughs> That's true. And don't overpromise people. Come yeah, on. Yeah, come on. Like... You're like, you're not Tina Turner, okay? Like, you're not that great. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, I think Tina Turner is the greatest singer of all time. Oh, well. Uh, so then she starts singing about Belfast, and we fall asleep, and it seems like Killian does? It does, actually. And this is a song that I, it's Black Velvet Band, and I was raised with, you know, Irish standards, so I've heard a million versions of this, and this is just about the worst. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I was gonna say, like, Here's the thing. Her voice is pretty good, but it's not like amazing, no. you know, and like it would never stop I, me from fighting. <laughs> I just I don't know. I respect that they have the actress actually. She's singing. She does a good job, but it does at no point, especially towards the end of an episode. Am I like moved? Am I no, like, oh, OK, this is the West Wing. Get your shit together. <laughs> So we see Polly and Ada walking toward the train to Cardiff when who should appear but good old, uh, what's his name? Freddy. Freddy Thorne. <laughs> good old, what's his name? 
<laughs> your best mates in school. <laughs> the man who saved your life in France. Oh, yeah. He did. The guy who I was banging sitting up. <laughs> I don't believe it either. Apparently, he got a tip-off from Killian to get out of town and, and take Ada with him. Uh, and he gets down on one knee and proposes, uh, which, you know, would be super great and romantic, except that they both suck. Uh, Ada and Paul are real stoked. They think this is great. And Paul says, go on, get on that train, you crazy newlyweds. Uh, and Ada agrees. She says, Cardiff's okay anywhere, but here's okay. But Freddie says, no, they're staying. This is, he's like, this is the best decision I've made since I bought this hat. This is great. <laughs> yeah. We were calling him terrible hat previously because his hat was so bad. And then he took it off and his haircut was so bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, terrible head, Jerry. <laughs> no, yeah, just not, not good in the head region right. in general. So then, uh, the dudes at the garrison are singing the sunshine in your smile. And the blinders sit in the back room playing cards and Grace is serving the beer. Which, by the way, at this, at this pub, beer served in buckets. Like, not ice with bottles in it, but just a bucket full of beer that you dip your glass in. I'm down. I, Let's make that happen. I, mean, I could get, yeah, I could get behind that. Yeah. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Ice is super And, and you, you, could, <laughs> you would see how quickly that would escalate in the Midwest where, like, People would die just trying to drink the whole bucket. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and there would be there would be a place that has like a bucket that's the size of of like you know a small man. You know, it'd be like a five foot yeah. four bucket, and uh, you would, know people would dive into it and they would drown. And well, you right. know, you know, it would take precisely five days for the word challenge to be tacked on exactly. the beers. <laughs> uh Mumper talks shit about the singing, and he and Arthur want to know what made Killian change his mind about the singing. Uh, and they both just infer that uh, Killian's got himself a woman, which is sort of true. Yeah. Uh, a car pulls up as people sing Come Josephine in My Flying Machine in much better circumstances than Rose did in Titanic. <laughs> uh, and a bunch of men come in. Harry exposits that it's the famous Billy Kimber. And he asked if there's any man there named Shelby. Yeah, well, there's it's a whole big dramatic buildup uh, of people being frightened and reactions in the back of people before we finally see Billy Kimber's face. Because if we saw his face first, we'd be like, uh, that's not so Yeah, great. we'd be like, what? Come on, this guy's toast by next episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I gotta say, I'm really disappointed in the people of this town reacting the way they did. Because in Cheltenham, Billy Kimber enters every building that way by putting a bullet <laughs> in the ceiling. <laughs> And I'm not going to call it Cheltenham. It's Cheltenham because I'm an American. <laughs> That's okay. I call Birmingham. I call Birmingham Beeham. All right. Oh, that sounds delicious. Right? Um, oh man, I'm hungry. This is usually uh, happens at this point in the podcast. We're like, man, we're hungry. Um. Anyway, Cheltenham got it together, man. They've got reinforced ceilings. They they deaf and. <laughs> They don't have singing night, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So Killian comes in and tells Harry to get these men a drink and kicks everyone else out because he can just do that, guys. <laughs> he can just kick people out of a place. So manly. Yeah. So shiny. So chrome. Uh, Grace <laughs> Grace serves the drinks and is told to get out. And, and she's like, oh, Harry said I could stay. And Killian's like, so? Get out. I'm the boss of the criminal organization that owns this bar. She's got a real chain of command problem. Yeah. Billy Kimber says that he has never approved of women in pubs, but when they look like that... Okay, also, guys, I don't want to be a traitor to women. (laughs) 
but she's not all that like she's got a problematic nose (laughs) and every i mean granted most she is the prettiest woman on this show like that is true but she's not that great yeah she's like fine in the context of the show, yes. In the context of history, she's got all her teeth. Uh, so that's uh, that's also true, and probably anachronistic. Yeah, even for a wealthy person. Yeah, hard to say. I don't know where they were at at this point, teeth wise. <laughs> <laughs> we're a woman like you. He's got all her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Killian wants to know what Billy Kimber wants, and Billy Kimber says that he is mad because they fixed a race without his permission. He asks who the boss is. Uh, Arthur says that he's the <laughs> and oldest. Tony Danza pops in. <laughs> <laughs> Mona. Angela. <laughs> and it's summarily blinded by the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> right. For interrupting this important business meeting with his no-nonce uh, Italian tough love. <laughs> yeah. Mumper asks Billy Kimber if he is laughing at Arthur, which of course he is. And Billy Kimber's like, fine. Obviously, Killian is the boss because he's looking me up and down like a fucking tart. Uh, and... He flips out. He's like, that's it. End of parley. You fixed a race without my permission, and so I'm going to have you shot against a post and starts to walk out. But Killian calls him back, tosses him the bullet from the Lee family, and observes that Billy Kimber is also at war with the Lees and suggests that they should ally with each other. The weird accountant guy who apparently goes around with Billy Kimber to these types of meetings says that this is... You never want to go anywhere without your accountant, Tom. Apparently not. Mine is over there. (laughs) And if he doesn't look like Alan Cumming, no deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> if he's not some, he's not some Cumming clone. He no, you no work here, my friend. <laughs> not in this. So Killian says that he admires Billy Kimber because he built up a legitimate business from nothing, and it would be an honor to work with him. Billy Kimber says people don't work with him; they work for him. And then he throws a coin on the ground and tells Killian to pick it up. Uh, which he pauses for a moment and then does and stops his idiot brothers from trying to interfere. Uh, Billy Kimber says that it's for the ceiling. The accountant tells Killian that they will see him at Cheltenham. And uh, fast boogie music kicks in as Kimber and his men leave. And then Arthur accuses Killian of picking a fight with the leads on purpose and reiterates that they can't take on Billy Kimber, but Killian ignores him and tells Arthur to get a decent haircut. They're going to the races. And Arthur's like, I can't get a decent haircut. This horrible haircut is like our whole trademark. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We're kind of locked in. We have one barber and he just cuts our hair with the fire, the sparks that come (laughs) off. No, the end of every episode is always like one of those like gotcha lines, and I just want it to be like CSI where it's like, yeah! (laughs) Going down the river on one of those fan boats. Oh, man. (laughs) So that's that's Peaky Blinders uh, episode two, guys. Yeah, yeah. Pretty manly. (laughs) Pretty manly. Not much much killing this episode, though. Some blinding. Way more manly than that. Yeah, episode one was. But I think I, I would have liked to have seen the horse death scene, uh, just see how bad it was. (laughs) (laughs) To see the bullet delivery, I'm really disappointed I didn't get the awkward bullet delivery. Feel cheap. No, I think actually I kind of agree. I I agree more with you on the horse front than on the. the bullet front, but I also think the bullet one would be easier to execute. Yeah, that's I true. I feel like as badly as horses die, they have to act like they're dying even worse. <laughs> yeah, they're probably not good thespians. Yeah, 
No, I don't think so. No. Horses. Or they just explode. Like, it'd be amazing if, like, if you... <laughs> it's fucking explode. <laughs> That's back when they were just feeding the horses. They were so poor, they had to feed the horses gunpowder and shit. They were just like... Oh, they just made so scraps from the BSA, like... Now, that's, uh, that's two. That would, you know, answer people like, oh, horses, that's not very manly. Oh, yeah? Watch this. Yeah, this is a much manlier episode in terms of just straight horses. <laughs> that's right. You know, there was no magic involved this time. No. Yeah. Yeah, we answered the question of if they do shoot horses. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so uh, they don't have to do that play or movie or whatever that is anymore. Right. Yeah, retcon that shit. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh my god, they do they shoot horses. <laughs> Doing some foley work, guys. Yeah, not, the, not a big deal. They can use that. Also, it would That's be pretty. great if in the future. I don't know what the rest of the series will be because I don't want to ruin it for for people that haven't seen it yet. But um, or I do. <laughs> but uh, it would be neat when he's using the opium from now on he just has to go back to that horse this <laughs> not getting a horse there. wow he's getting high up in his room thinking about that horse he shot <laughs> no and then he switches to heroin because it's called horse <laughs> hey maybe this is how maybe hey. this is how heroin got to be called that oh my god guys i think it's true everybody knows <laughs> opium is a gateway opiate <laughs> It's true. Oh my God. Anyway, all oh, right. Boys. Well, we should probably get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. This went on a lot longer than we expected, but it's been great. <laughs> it has. This been has been great. awesome, Lee. You were such a great manly guest. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I got whiskey and I had a cigarette. It was great. Fantastic, <laughs> manly to a T. That's right. It's too bad we're looking at him right now. He looks so manly, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't see this. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Lee Keeler, Green Gravel. Comedy Festival. You just Google him. You know, he's around. Yeah. You're on Twitter? Yeah. And check out uh, one of our sponsors uh, is the Devastator Press. They're amazing. They just dropped their horror issue, uh, which is really good. It's got a lot of writers uh, from across the country, comedy writers that are great. And you can check out their books at DevastatorPress.com. Plug! Awesome. All right. Great. Uh, well, then we're going to get out of here by order of the Peaky Blinders. 